This is a podcast from The Red House, the former home of Benjamin Britten and Peter Piers. I'm Lucy Walker. Join me, colleagues and other guests for a monthly chat about all things Britain and Piers, plus music, culture, heritage in general and anything else that might come up. Hello and welcome to podcast number eight from The Red House. Now, previous five podcasts, they've not been from The Red House because we've been in lockdown, so I've been recording from my house. Uh, but today, hugely excitingly, I'm in the Peter Pierce Recital Room at Snape Maltons and I am with two of my colleagues, um, Roger Wright and Sarah Brockwell. Hello both. Hello. Hello. Um, so we are sitting socially distantly, very properly, um, and being recorded by another colleague as well, Matt. And what we're going to do is talk about really the fact that our two organisations merged as it happens during this extraordinary period um, at the beginning of April. We were going to do this podcast back in March, but obviously um, what with one thing and another, um, we didn't. Um, so just briefly, let's introduce ourselves. Roger, who are you? Um, I'm, I'm Roger White still, um, and I'm chief exec of uh, this organisation called Britain Peers Arts. And I know we'll no doubt go on to talk about the, the merger. Um, I arrived here in 2014 to run what was then called Rockwell Music, which then changed its name to Snake Maltings when we uh, unexpectedly acquired the whole of the Snake Maltings site. But uh, yeah, I'm delighted that um, we, we have managed to do the merger in this lockdown, and it really speaks of both uh, an exciting future, um, which we're obviously all keen to, to, to build now, um, but that's obviously only built on this extraordinary past. Yes, absolutely so. Um, and the other, the other organisation in this merger is, is yours. Ours. <laughs> I'm not sure it was, but anyway. <laughs> yes, and I'm Sarah Bartlett. I was the chief executive of Britain Peers Foundation, with a hyphen. Um, <laughs> and I'm now the executive director of Britain Peers Arts, no hyphen. Um, controversially, but sensibly, because it's much easier when you're typing an email address, it has to be said. Okay. I'm Lucy Walker and, I, and I, I've been, I am Head of Public Engagement now for Britain Peers Arts. So it'd be nice, I think, just to talk about why or how this merger came about uh, a little bit. When did we start talking about it, Roger? Well, do you know what? When I first got the job as Chief Executive of Britain Peers Foundation, the first person to phone me up, I remember it really distinctively, I was... I was, I was, it was a Friday afternoon, and I think it had just been announced, and the first person to call me up was Roger. And, and I thought, that's really interesting. It was the first thing that had happened before anyone else. I probably, I'm probably back, you know, in hindsight doing this, but I, it, it was really interesting that that was the first person to congratulate me on the role. But it was a real insight into how close the organisations were and how close certainly Roger felt them to be, but also that they were... Um, going to be, having been able to do it now, it just happens to be now. It happens to be that the moment, I and mean, unfortunately during a pandemic, that wasn't in the plan, but, but I, I think it was always going to happen in some way. And it was just the sort of, somehow the stars began to align. And of course there's really important reasons why, it, it ha- why we decided it should happen. Um, and that's, we can go into a lot more about how, the, what we hope to do as an organisation. Absolutely. And there have been times in the last 10, 20 years when there have been conversations that sort of went, well, you know, what, what about Britain Peers Foundation and the relationship and wouldn't it make some sense at some point 
for the two organisations to come back together. Those conversations um, broadly concluded, yes, of course it would, but it's probably not going to happen in our lifetimes. But as, as often happens with these things, it's about relationships, isn't it? Um, and I think that realisation that you know, there was a tide to be caught with Sarah's arrival, with new chair at Britain's foundation in Savannah Ellis, um, those, those conversations sort of just began to emerge. And there was a wonderful moment, wasn't there, at a, at a meeting of both of our boards when we all turned to Colin Matthews um, because you know, Colin, with, with his engagement and his connection to Britain and peers and his connection to the Britain estate, and you know, he, you know, as that director of music of Britain Peers Foundation and that long established history, we turned to him as Britain's representative on earth. <laughs> um, and, and Colin, very, it was a wonderful moment because Colin just said, you know, I remember when it was one organisation and won't it, be nice, won't it be nice not to be talking about them and us? And that was the point at which you could just feel everybody in the room relax and know, yes, this was the most obvious thing to do. And I know you are, Lucy, too, really careful about not putting words into our founders' mouths long after the time that they were on this earth. Um, that uh, a recognition and acknowledgement um, that they had a particular view about this place, Lake Maltings, a particular view of the Red House, a particular view of, of archives, and a, and a particular view about their priorities. Um, and that's what this new charity um, would, would be focusing on and, and allow to flourish you know, in an even greater way than it had in the two separate entities. Yes, absolutely so. And I think it's, um, when you say that for a long time we've been two complementary organisations and increasingly we were working together anyway. But when I, because I started in 2006, so quite a long time before this was, was what seemed to be on the cards in any case. And we used to spend seemingly quite a lot of energy in explaining to people that we were different organisations, that they do this at Snape and we do this here. And that will, and eventually we got it down to a sort of quite abbreviated form of words where we say, well, at Snape, they're a performing arts organisation and they perform Britain, but we here look after Britain's legacy and, we're, you know, and we have an archive. And, and that's where we got it down to. But the fact that, that we spent a lot of time trying to distinguish between us and how we were separate and did different things now is a strength and it's such a relief to actually just say, yes, we are the same. Somebody made a, a comment at the time that we were uh, communicating the, the merger, which I can sort of quite clocked um, in, in this way, that uh, it speaks to the confidence of both organisations that we took the decision to merge. Mm -hmm. Because often charities, organisations, which work in the same area, both geographical and in terms of their interest and topic, um, and which may have spent you know, some years um, sitting alongside one another, occasionally chafing, um, but actually working in that, in that territory and sort of pacing around with one another, are those same charities which don't have the confidence to say, you know what, we'll, we'll be better off together. Mm -hmm. Doing the most obvious thing in, in terms of their effectiveness, merging together. But it's much easier to stay apart. Yes. Much easier. Yeah. Well, the, the status quo is always slightly easier, isn't it? You know, it's, oh, do we just carry on, do the same old, same old. But so, so that, that's it. So the, other, the other great thing, I think, just sort of pull, develop that point about mergers is they often come out of moments of crisis, don't they? They come out when an organisation or two organisations are having 
difficulties, whether it's financial or for some other reason. And it's lovely to be a merger that isn't part, that isn't what it's about. We weren't trying to avoid some crisis or there wasn't, nothing was going wrong. It was just, it was trying to make things even better. Although we've, we've, so we've broken the world again by actually choosing to merge during a crisis <laughs> instead of because of one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. so, it's not, it wasn't quite in the plan, but we actually merged on the 1st of April. How weird is that? Uh, but it, 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 it had always been planned to do it then. Everything was in train for it to happen then. We did have a moment of reflection and think, should we still be doing this, given everything that's going on in the world? But, and, and I think that goes back to your point, Roger, it's because we were so sure it was the right thing to do and absolutely had been robustly considered that, that that's what we did carry on. I, I think the merger itself has been relatively easy. The pandemic isn't and hasn't been, and we're, we're, it, we sometimes have to think of those as slightly separate things because this this crisis we're all in at the moment um, it is it's throwing lots of different challenges to all of us for different reasons, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, because what we would normally be doing, obviously, at this time of year is, is getting ready for the, for the festival, and we've been putting out a, a kind of a, not even an alternative festival, just, just, just some great material that has been accumulated over previous festivals. But normally, the activities in this larger organisation is the, the range is now huge, isn't it? The thing about the the range of activities, which which I think probably we we all feel looking at the the two of you, um, sort of every single day is is the sense of respect for the heritage from Britain and Peters, um, and the the obligation we have to be respectful for that. Um, but at the same time, also recognizing that we are now in the 21st century and we need to try and tie that vision to what feels right for sort of present day. And there's an absolutely nothing about the work that goes on in Britain Peers Arts now, which isn't connected to their vision about what music and the arts can do. And music's role in the community, music's role in society more broadly, the training of young musicians, um, you know, the, the importance of new work, um, an international festival connecting to audiences, and in the end, rooted in Suffolk, because you know, that's where they lived you know, pretty much all their lives. And so that, that, those connections you know, are one of the other reasons why it's so extraordinary that um, this, this place has that distinctiveness because of those roots, because of the reimagining over the years and making it fit for purpose for, for, for contemporary life. But also that it is, as, as you know, at Red House and as within the archive, it's because they didn't really move around that much and they had a certain amount of space. Um, it's so unlike pretty much every other artist you can think of within the 20th century, um, where belongings are not held in, in one particular place and that they were orders too and they could be, you know, means that there's a, there's a real sense of living heritage. And sometimes that's sort of used and you think, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. But, but, it, but it's absolutely happening, which is where the complementary nature of the two organisations which have come together really does sort of sing louder than ever. And I, th I think sort of just picking up from that theme, the living heritage or, you, it, or and here as well, and there's a lot of heritage at, at this, at the Snake Morton site as well. But it's, we, 
it's funny having gone to both sites at the moment when they're so empty and there's there's just nothing there they they feel sad somehow i mean i know we're all slightly sad but it, it just doesn't feel right and so of course it is about space and and the inspiration of these places but of course it's about people being in those places and if they're not there that is that it's not the same at all. So yes, we are absolutely steeped in history and, and we, everything we do is sort of comes from those founders, but it's it's all about the future and now and looking towards uh, how we can help and uh, inspire and educate uh, and give people opportunities here. And I think for everyone who, who works with the organisations, but it also comes back to that again, and we go back to sort of Britain's words, but this, um, this, this slightly sort of on-message thing, which I'm becoming slightly obsessed with, is about Britain saying he wanted his music to be useful. He wanted it to be useful. And that is so important now, especially at this moment, because I think we're really seeing um, the arts in its broadest form, not, not just music, but, but in its broadest form, being such an important part. The arts, nature, all of those things that we have in abundance here being so important to all of us at the moment. And I think that's a really another important kind of message that we're keen that we can reinforce better together. And it's also, so that, and th these are other people's words rather than ours, that the world-class nature of everything that you touch within the organisation. So be it the quality of the acoustic in the concert hall, the way in which the Britain studio was developed, um, the world-class nature of the archive itself, that building, the way in which um, the research and scholarship is, is set up, um, the quality of the work that goes on, the quality of the teaching, the international nature of it as well. All, all of those things um, speak to the, the world-class nature of Britain and peers as creative artists as well. And that's true of um, the, the Children and Young People's programme. And, and even though, you know, in terms of the, the vision, Britain wouldn't have known the sort of um, society problems that we are currently facing. Um, but you know, if you just take one of our programmes, the Singing to be Parkinson's, he would know, and peers would know, the positive effect of singing in communities, bringing people together, but also physically what it does. So, so the work that we're doing in creative health is again another continuation and manifestation of that visionary view about the, the power of music in the community. Yeah, I absolutely think that the music for health and well-being is is completely what they were about. But of course, they wouldn't have used that term. It would have been a complete anathema to them. And that's what so much of our um, work strands. Are, well, I'm about the work strands. I think we could say now. A, a, encompass that sort of idea about uh, music, singing, but, but music generally being such a, an amazing part of everybody's lives. And I think that's a really important thing. And again, it's something we'll be trying, we are doing and will strive to do to the best of our possible abilities to be world leading in that area as well. So it's, a, it's a really uh, another, taken inspiration from the beginning, but actually reinvented it in our own way to face and um, address the challenges of today. Speaking of which, I wonder if you'd be willing to, to talk a little about what um, particular challenges you've found in this last couple of months. Um, I find that the biggest challenge I find is is the constant screen time. Actually, I find it quite exhausting. Um, it's quite hard. You, there's so many other cue, cues, social cues you don't pick up on a screen, um, and you haven't got that sense of how people not how they're really feeling because. 
you should articulate that but it, there's others other bits aren't there there's other bits of conversation there's there's gesture there's sort of just the odd kind of it's okay tap touch on the arm none of which can happen in a in a screen meeting and i think i think that's the thing i i really miss and so every conversation takes so much longer it's such a and not because people are difficult or awkward or saying the wrong things it's just hard it's harder work but i have read some people apparently really don't are, are quite enjoying it particularly if if they have um any kind of social challenges you know some sort of form of autism in fact if, if you're managing it like so clearly as you have to in a zoom meeting when you're saying okay it's now your turn to speak there's much more time to consider and in fact they're they're benefiting from this experience so i i, I recognize that it's not everyone but but for me i definitely find it a challenge mm. and, I, and i imagine more people find it difficult than than benefiting from it mm. uh, but but i don't know what, what's your biggest thing lucy what's your it's not having a gang around <laughs> I, i like the collegiate aspect of working in an, of an office and and, and uh, coming in having the chat even by the kettle and then having that in just in the room almost like walk by conversations where you can have some really great ideas that that spark off other people whereas now you're having to say okay can i talk to you about this at quarter past three after your fifth zoom meeting i mean you're both exhausted and the thought you had at the 10 that morning has gone yeah <laughs> um and just that creative um serendipity that you get just through the chat And something about rhythm isn't there in all of yeah. this which is the rhythm isn't a natural rhythm at all i mean the rhythm of walking about and seeing colleagues that that is a sort of natural rhythm um and uh you know, some of those um serendipitous conversations you know are are fun they spark off other things and and you know that it's a rhythm that if you like you're establishing as opposed to a rhythm which is being established by the structure of having to saying timetable those meetings those those calls and sort of say what they're going to be about Yeah, um, yeah, okay. I was sort of I was sort of hoping that it would take me only a couple of days to get into a natural rhythm of remote working. And 10 11 weeks on I don't feel that I've established anything like a, a rhythm at all. It's maybe a bit Mary Poppinsian as say what what have you enjoyed about this lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> I I I I tend not to be a Mr. Grumpy. Um uh but the, here we go there's a butt going. Yes. <laughs> I'm growing a little tired of of those who are saying, you know, um, hurrah! What a great opportunity it is for us to rethink our art forms. Um, and the, I suppose the reason I'm, I'm sort of growing tired of it is that I think, you know, actually it's our jobs, you know, um, working in creative organisations, continually to be rethinking our art forms anyway. Yeah. And and the idea that this thing. You know, which nobody can say is a good thing. Um, it is you know that there's a positive from it because we're rethinking our art forms. I just think is so misguided. Um, yes, you know, there should always be opportunity for for us to think about you know, how do we reach new audiences, how do we do audience development, how do we you know rethink the way in which you know, great music of the past is presented. Um, you know, which new communities can we reach? Which ways can can music and the arts um you know play an even greater part in bringing divided communities together 
Black Lives Matter is a is a really good example of that. What role is music in the arts? But you know, honestly, we don't need a pandemic for that. You know, <laughs> we should be doing it in any case. And and one's heart goes out to singers and conductors you know, who are just not able to do what what they normally do. You know, for for a lot of instrumentalists that, that I've talked to, um, you know, those who you know are enjoying not having to travel, are spending time with their instrument and their repertoire. Um, you know, but you know, the, for, for those younger musicians who are just starting out and who don't have money in the bank, this is a crippling situation for them. Um, but you know, there, are, there, are, there are some who have, who have enjoyed you know, the opportunity to have time uh, and to, to, to be in their own beds for a little while and have time to, to explore new repertoire or look again at, at older repertoire. Um, and then the, 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 the time thing does mean that you know, I, I find myself catching up on all sorts of um, documentaries, music documentaries and interviews and things, which I, which I otherwise wouldn't have had time to, to do. Uh, and that that's, has, has been a, a pleasure, I have to say. And you know, it, it's, it's, it's part of the serendipity thing again. You know, if you're in, interested in continuing to discover new things, then there is so much there just to, to take the time. There is, but the trouble is I'm really struggling. I seem to have the attention span of a gnat. So it's really tricky to do any of those things that I sort of, you know, the book pile, the CD pile, the, the television film thing. I think, oh, I could do this. I don't, I, I, somehow I can't sustain enough, long enough to be able to be, to, to listen. I, it's really But do that partly because we are all anxious? I mean, there's something yes. covered. There's a level of anxiety. And also, it, it does... Um, however energetic we, we may feel, that there is an energy sapping thing to the nature of the life, the nature of communication, the nature of the anxiety, you know, yeah. which, which does mean that actually it is, it is hard to keep that energy level up. And I think it's also partly that we're not so inspired sort of by going, you know, usually most weeks I would go to something, I'd see a performance I'd, in, 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 the, in the real world. Um, uh, or I'd, I'd be on a train to London and I'd be looking at reading an article, picking up all the time. You're getting in, in, input, aren't you? You're getting stimulus. You're getting things, getting you excited about, about and, and inspiring those thoughts. It's like those, you know, accidental conversations by the, the kettle. And, and, and I'm, because I'm not having that, you try to find it and you try to look at it, but it's, you know, there are a limit to how many tweets I can put out about cake. No, it's, 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 so, it's so true. I, I find I can't consume any kind of... Mainly I'm consuming detective novels and detective telly. Oh. Thrillers. Because, and I think, and maybe right, so that, that actually Sartre wrote about this, that you, something that is quite good for existential anxiety is a detective story because it has a, a beginning, there's a thing happens and it's solved. And it's very contained. And I'm, I'm sure that's why I can advocate. I picked up a much more literary novel recently, and I just thought, well, well, I don't know, what's the point of this? You know, put it down again. So it's Peter James all the way. It's well, it's it's more American actually, actually, and of the sort of noirish domestic noirs. So actually, from that, I think we will turn to our what we've been listening to lately, which is which is how we've been signing off in all of these podcasts. So it can be the last thing you listen to, or just something that you're really into at the moment. It can be two things. That's the criteria. So mine, what well, the last I listened to actually today was a work-related thing. Um, one of the things we've been trying to do is a part of the celebration of the festivals. We're trying to do a sort of 
um, get as much information as we can to share for, that we have in the archive. One of the projects we've been running with the British Library is to, um, it's, it's a project called Save Our Sounds and it's to turn reel-to-reel -reel tapes that we have into digital files so that we can share them. And we've done a whole slew of these recently and Roger and I have been given the really quite fun job of listening to some of them. Now, apart from the fact they are completely distracting, and I've, I know I have a text span of the gnat, but apparently when it's work-related, I can sort of keep with the programme. But there's a great recording, nearly all of the, nearly all of the 1971 festival, festival, and it's just marvellous. There's brilliant things on it. But the thing I listened to, actually I listened to it this morning, was a, a Janet Baker recital, which I think has already been released on disc in some form, actually, but not, this is the actual recital, just recorded straight with the cutting in between. And you can hear her just loving the music. It's a great programme, sort of French, uh, Monteverdi, there's... Uh, anyway, was, but the thing that I listened to was some three Purcell songs, and they're just fab, brilliant. They are available, I think, on a, a CD, so we'll find a link for the Spotify. Right. Lovely. Um, I'm still a keen Radio 3 listener. Um, and, and it's great that um, in terms of festival broadcasts, we've got um, so many events, the Midsummer Night's Dream and the concerts from past festivals being broadcast on, on radio because you know, it's, a, it's a big audience and um, it's wonderful to be able to, to, to share um, that, um, those, those performances. And, and, and the way, so I used to be really sort of binary um, in terms of uh, my thinking about uh, serendipity and streaming and thinking, yes, radio free. Radio listening will always surprise you with something. But I've also, one of the things that happened in lockdown is that I've realised the value of certain streaming services. So, so I've become really uh, a, a big user of iDagio, which is a classical music streaming service. So, so my two bits of, of listening this week have been um, from Radio 3, a new recording of the Bruckner, E-minor Mass and Stravinsky Mass, which was a wonderful pairing. And then there's probably a composer that you both know really well that I've never heard of, Mel Bonis, Melanie Ellen Bonis, born uh, in the late 1850s and lived through till the 1930s, um, taught by Cesar Frog, um, would have been a Paris conservator at the same time as, as, oh, Debussy, wow. as Debussy. Yeah, and the music's not great music, but it is, uh, it's really touching, charming, effective, well-written, um, prolific over 300 pieces. So yeah, Melanie Bonis was a new, was Melanie Boni, I don't know, I imagine B-O-N-I-S, was a name completely new to me. Terribly, excellent. Uh, me too. Yes, excellent. So Lucy, what have you been listening to? Um, two things come to mind. One is, um, I can't remember how it came, but oh, that's it. Our colleague Chris, who put out a Stories from the Archive piece on Britain's record collection, which included uh, Duke Ellington uh, album Sweets. And he, he talked about that and the fact that it was interesting that it was in this collection and the drawing some comparisons between the two. And then it, I just looked up a little further and it turned out that Duke Ellington, when he was writing his suite, The River, was listening to as much water-based music as he could. So he listened to Handel and he listened to the interludes, Peter Graham. So he had that in his collection. So nice little follow-up. And it just reminded me to go back to a disc I used to listen to years ago, which had Duke Ellington's The River on, which someone else orchestrated, but it's his stuff, it's his material. And a symphony by William Grant Still, I think, on the same disc. And it's just, it's great. And it's, it's 
really uh, sort of joyous music, and his is a kind of big band stuff, but it's 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 um, arranged over full orchestra. So that's certainly one track of that's going on. And another is from these super Twitter conversations between Matthew Rose and Stephen Isolis, who've been recommending music to each other every day. I think they finish now, but they covered a huge range of musical um, material. And one that I think Matthew recommended to Stephen Isolis was uh, a very unusual arrangement of Alzo Sprach Zarathustra, which was by Stan Kenton and his orchestra, which is a kind of incredibly funky version of that Richard Strauss tone poem, and it is just business, so that is going on too. <laughs> I'm just making a connection between river music and sea interludes and streaming. I mean, <laughs> we got there. Wow. That's a breakfast television link for you. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, thank you both so much. This has been this has been great fun, not least just actually doing this in person um, for podcasts. So the, the following ones may may not be, so I will treasure this moment. Oh. Um, and thank you both very much indeed. And happy festival. <laughs> <laughs>